December 26, 2022. This morning's class and the classes throughout the week are donated Le'inui Nishmat Eliyahu Ben Miriam Elliot R. Shalme and in loving memory of Michael Fallis, Moshe Ben Rachel by Solomon Fallis. We're, on, we're in Masechet Sanhedrin on the Pezayin Amud Aleph. If you count down from the top of the Amud, it's 12 lines down, the last word on the line. If you recall, the Gemara is in the midst of dealing with Zaken Mamre, was the next on the list of circumstances of violations for which a person would be liable for mitat chenik, they'd be put to death by strangulation. And very briefly, what the Mishnah described to us is an individual who disagrees with the court in their area, who then in turn is brought to the courts in Yerushalayim uh, to deal with this is Zaken, he's not just a simple person, not just a Talmud, he's a person who's he's trained and uh, let's call it passed the test to be a more hora'at, instruct law in Am Yisrael, but then he's still disagreeing to the extent that one court after the next court until he gets to what we'll call the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, the Beit Din HaGadol in the Shkat HaGazit, and he's still disagreeing with them, but not just disagreeing with them, he returns to his hometown and he's telling people to follow those laws. He's instructing others not to follow the uh, Hora'ah, the Masoret, the tradition of the Beit Din HaGadol, but rather to follow his interpretation. So this first Beraita in the Gemara was extrapolating from the Pesukim that described this law, described this circumstance, the many situations wherein if a person's a Zakin Mamre, if he's disagreeing with the Beit Din HaGadol, he's liable for that Chenek. And if you recall, the Pesukim would Doresh many different situations, all of which we'll return to. But the last one in the list of, of, of of halachot, which the Pesukim seemed to delineate, was uh, not a halacha at all per se, it was rather a description. The Pasuk said, Vekamta ve'alita, the Pasuk says, you'll get up, the derashah was mibetin, you'll get up from the betin in your local area, and then ve'alita, and you'll go up. What does it mean that you'll go up? So the beraita concluded with a somewhat of a derashah, and it said, milamed, we can learn from this, shebet mikdash gavoa me'eris Yisrael, the fact that you're rising up to the shkata gazit, which was found at makoma mikdash, you understand from that that the mikdash was ve'alita, you're going up. It's a higher place than anywhere else in Eres Yisrael. But furthermore, the Beraita told us, the Eres Yisrael gavoa mikol ha'arasot, and the land of Israel is higher than all other countries. So that was the conclusion of the Beraita. Says the Gemara here, 12 lines from the top, the last one in the line, Bishlama, it's understood, Beta mikdash gavoa me'eres Yisrael, we can understand, we can appreciate the concept of Eretz Yisrael being higher, excuse me, the Mikdash being higher than the rest, rest of Eretz Yisrael. Dichtiv, after all, the Pasuk says, Ve'alita, you'll go up. So it means, I'm in Eretz Yisrael. You'll go up if no aleinu, we're in a situation of Zakin Mamre. Ela, however, Eretz Yisrael gavoa mikol ha'arasot minale. How do you derive, where is there a Pasuk which perhaps hints at the fact that the land of Israel is as well higher than all other countries? What's that? So the simple interpretation of the Gemara is we're dealing with physical height. The later commentaries in the last five, six hundred years point out that we now are aware of many lands and uh, locations that are higher than Eretz Yisrael. So instead, they interpret it among others, Maharsha and others interpret it in a, uh, call it spiritual, but call it in terms of energy force. In other words, if you imagine something as emanating from a middle, a middle point and then everything growing out of it, so you kind of see that middle point as the highest. It doesn't mean physically highest, but it means everything emanates from it. All the energy, all the kedusha, all the existence 
emanates from that point in the middle. That's how we're envisioning both Eretz Yisrael and Makom HaMikdash. Uh, in other words, instead of it being physical. But it does sound from the Gemara, it does sound from others that they're dealing or at least imagined it as being physically so, but it need not be so. And the question is with regards to Makom HaMikdash itself as well. In other words, was that supposed to be? That was not so hard to determine. You're in Eretz Israel, you can look there. It's certainly not that way today. Is that because, as the Pesukim and Tehillim seem to describe, that when it was destroyed, they said, Aru, Aru, Ad Hayesodva. They, uh, they, they were digging and they were kind of taking down Harabait. Or is it as well, never to be taken in the literal sense, up for debate. But regardless, says the Gemara, how do you know that Eretz Yisrael is the highest, however we interpret it, than uh, any other country? Dichtiv, uh, they cite a pasuk from Sefer Yirmiyad. Pasuk says, Lachen hinei yamim ba'im ne'um Adonai, hai Adonai she'he'elad b'nei Yisrael me'eres v'shayim, ki im hai Adonai, excuse me, those words that are in parentheses, says, ve'lo yomeru od, hai Adonai she'he'elad b'nei Yisrael me'eres v'shayim, ki im hai Adonai she'he'elad, so first the derasha, and then just the context of the pasuk. The derasha is the fact that it's describing all the countries that surround, and it's going to say, and it says in there, asher that which God rose us, uh, ascended us, it brought us up to Eretz Israel. What's the context of the pasuk? It's envisioning the times of Mashiach, and it's saying, in the future, instead of talking about God's greatness in terms of redeeming Am Yisrael as the way we do today, that he redeemed us from Egypt, we're no longer going to see it that way. The greatest manifestation, the greatest power and force of God is going to be that ultimate redemption, the Yemota Mashiach redemption. Now, the specifics, the way that's described us in the future, we're not going to say it like that. Instead, we're going to say, look at how great God is, Asher He'elah, who rose up Am Yisrael from all the surrounding lands. Wait a second, what do you mean rose up? Maybe we were in higher lands to begin with. Maybe we had to go down. That's the derasha that Eris Israel as well is higher than all other countries. Is there a halachic uh, ramification of here? Not per se, there is a debate if a person were to make, for example, a neder, it's always that type of nafkamina la halacha, and in the, in the vow, in the swear, the person articulates something about going down or going up in the wrong way, so then it's an improper usage of the words. Aside from that, there's not real halachic ramifications other than proper understanding, especially if we're talking about this fundamentally, as opposed to, I guess, topographically. Right, says the Gemara Tanura Banan, we have a Beraita. The Beraita brings us back to uh, our uh, source matter, and that is Zakin Mamre. Uh, so if you recall, again, that last Beraita had a whole slew of laws, which if a Zakin Mamre were to disagree with them, if he disagrees with Beitin Hagadol on those matters, if all the procedures go in, in order, the person will be declared and determined. Zakin Mamre and put to death. Tanura Banan, this Beraita records three seemingly different opinions with regards to what sort of law or laws must the Zaken Mamre disagree with in order to be considered Zaken Mamre. In other words, if he just disagrees with X, maybe he's not determined to be a Zaken Mamre. He shouldn't be disagreeing, but if he did so, he's not going to be put to death. It has to have the weightiness. It has to have the severity of something that we look at and we say, oh, that was a very dangerous uh, statement that he made. Look at how it's going to sway people away from proper law. The first opinion here in the Beraita is that the only time during which the specific circumstance where 
a zaken mamre will be considered as such is if he's disagreeing and uh, spreading the word on a matter that has the severity of, if a person transgresses this, we'll give some examples as we go along, it's zidono karet, which means, say, purposefully violating this, brings death, death penalty from Shemaim, from heaven, that's karet, that's pretty high level, and shigato, if a person accidentally de- uh, defies this, it's hatat, it's a korban hatat, that's the opinion of Bimeir, which means to say the severity of the law that the zaken mamre is disagreeing with has to be one that is what we call zedono karet veshigirato hatat. Anyone who's familiar, what's that? And that's, you're going to have it coupled. If it was purposeful, it would be karet. If it's accidental, it would be hatat. It's one sin. It's a question of how the person, if they went against it, did it. If it was bizadon, purposeful, it's karet. If it's accidental, shigigato, it's hatat. This is not chametz on Pesach, and it really is. That's right. That's right. Among many other examples, as, as Jesse knows, chametz on Pesach will have liability of hatat if it's bishogeg and karet if it's bimezit. That's right. So he's disagreeing with that. This, anyone who's learned Masechet, uh, Masechet Horayot, this should already conjure up memories of such a law. And in fact, the Gemara will tell us Rabbi Meir derives it from those laws. Masechet Horayot, by and large, to the full extent, deals with the laws of Par Ha'alem Davar Shel Sibur. If the Bedin Hagadol in, uh, improperly instructs on a matter that Shigigato Hatat, Zedono karet on an issue that has that sort of severity. The example that throughout the Masechet they're dealing with is eating chelev, eating the, the restricted fats of an animal. In that circumstance, and only in that sort of circumstance, is it that the betin hagadol needs to bring a korban. It's a special korban. It's called parha alem davar shel sibur, which means to say they, the leaders of the nation, made a mistake in their ruling for everyone. They put up signs. They sent out the... Uh, the, the social media warnings and explanations that this is permitted. Everyone begins eating it, or a large amount of people begin eating it. Under those circumstances, sibur is necessary for the Beit Din Hagadol. That's parallel, and in fact, it's going to be derived over here from there to this halacha according to Bimeir. Under what circumstances, what's the level of severity, at which point we say the Beit Din Hagadol needs to bring this special korban, zidono karet, shigato hatat. According to Bimeir, zaken mamre is disagreeing with them, on a matter that's identical in nature. Okay, next opinion. Rabbi Uda disagrees. His opinion is that it needs to be, there's a mahlokin in the Rishonim, is he disagreeing and minimizing, is he expanding, irrespective, his determination of what determines, what uh, makes a zaken mamre, is that he's disputing an issue, ikaro midivre Torah. It's ikar, it's references in the Torah. However, it's perush, the specifics about which he's disagreeing are the interpretation, which is what he calls midivre sofrim. We call that b'masoret, the tradition from the rabbis, from the scholars of every generation. For example, if he were to zaken mamre, say you shouldn't be putting on tefillin, not sufficient. That's explicit in the Torah. And as a result, we say he's not a zaken mamre. Why is he not a zaken mamre? He's telling people not to put on tefillin. And the Torah, that's right, since it's explicit in the Torah, at least according to 
our understanding that you should be putting on tefillin. Uh, in turn, we say that zil kare berav. Every person should know to disagree. He's not dangerous. That's not a threat. The guy goes out in the streets and says, don't put on tefillin. We open up a humash and we understand that's not so. If he's disagreeing about which parchments to put in the tefillin, that's what we're talking about over here. It's perusho midivre sofrim. It's interpretation comes from tradition from what we call halakha Moshe Misinai, from sometimes a perush mekubam Moshe Rabbeinu. That's where we determine, he says, Mamre, where does it say explicitly in the Torah what parchments are to be placed in your tefillin shel rosh, your tefillin shel yad? It doesn't. How do we know that? Halakha Moshe Misinai, perush mekubam Moshe Rabbeinu. So if he's to disagree with that, then and only then, in those circumstances, would you determine him as zaken Mamre. Why are the rabbis known as sofrim, the Gemara Masechet Kiddushin, on Daflamid Lamed Aleph maybe describes it, as uh, they used to count the words, letters, and pesukim of the Torah. So sofrim, instead of scribes, the hachamim interpreted as meaning counters. To be sofer means also to count. Uh, there's something to counting the letters, words, and pesukim of the Torah. We refer to the rabbis, the hachamim tell us as sofrim for that reason. Maybe they were scribes as well. Yeah? That's about the order of the, t- the parchments, not yeah. about which parchments go in. We don't yeah. have Masoret HaLachal Moshe Misinai on the order. We yeah. have Masoret HaLachal Moshe Misinai on which ones go in. Yeah. yeah, good question. Last opinion here in the Beraita. So that's Rabbi Meir first, Zedono Karet, Shigato Karat. Next opinion, that of Rabbi Yehuda, Ikaro Midivre Torah, Perusho Midivre Sofrim. All of these deciding and determining under what circumstances he considered a Zaken Mamre, what sort of halachas he dis- disagreeing with. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Afilu Diktuk Ehad Midiktuke Sofrim. Rabbi Shimon, this last opinion, uh, says even if it's just a Diktuk, literally Diktuk means a deduction, you're determining from the Pasuk, we assume that this is one of the 13 Midot by him. He's disagreeing with something that we determined based on our tradition on how to methodologically determine laws from the Torah, that this is a halakha from the Torah. When the rabbis derive something from one of those 13 ways of deriving things from the Torah, among others, that we say is a halakha from the Torah. But it's not explicit, but it's based on our tradition to the methodology of interpreting the Torah is in such a way. Even if he disagrees with it like that, not per se that it's something that's explicit in the Torah and the interpretation from the rabbis, even if the interpretation is from the rabbis, but it has the strength of a mitzvah, from the Torah, that as well would consider this person a zaken mamre. The words of Harambam on this are a little bit confusing. Harambam seems to include as well certain, as, even though we call it diktuke sofrim, certain takanot and gezerot from the rabbis in Perik Dal Devilchot Mamrim. It's important to, to read those words and understand them for what they're telling us with regards to the sugya as well. But this is a simple interpretation of the sugya. Says the Gemara, let's go through each of these opinions. Where they derive their opinions from? How did Rabbi Meir, the first one, decide that Zaken Mamre is specifically and only if it's on the severity of a matter that has Zedono Karet Shigigato Hatat, says the Gemara Gamar, he has a Gezera Shava, he has a tradition linking two words in Pesukim, Davar Davar. The Pasuk in two places, among others, says the word Davar, but they're linked up over here through tradition, Gezera Shava Ketivacha. On the one hand, the Pasuk over here by Zaken Mamre says, Ki Pale Mimecha Davar Lamish. It says davar in that context. And then the pasuk that I referred to you just a few moments ago, it says, That's by parha alem davar shel sibur, as I mentioned to you earlier. If the, uh, the Betin Hagadol instructed 
deemed wrongfully to the nation on a matter that zedono karet shigato hatat malehalan the same way over there in that second case again masechet horayot call it par ha'alem davar shel sibur davar she hayav al zedono karet v'ashigato hatat afkan davar she hayav al zedono karet v'ashigigato hatat go ahead. Great question. Jesse says, we had this whole dirasha, which I referred you to, uh, I, I referenced at the beginning of the class, and we learned it on Friday. What about all those dirashot? We had dirashot about all sorts of different laws. Dam nidan, so on and so forth. Are all of those uh, um, relevant? Lucky you, Jesse. We have a daf ahead, which is going to explain how on every single one of those he agrees. That's what Rav Papa will set out to do your thing. So that's what's to come. Um, how do we derive in the context of Parha Alim Davar Shel Sidbur, for example, that the halakha is al davar shezedono karet v'shigato hatat? Who said that's the law over there? The Gemara Masechet Horayot. Rashi refers us to it on daf het, if I'm not mistaken, learns it from the laws of Ahot Isha. Okay, specific derasha over there. So it's almost one of these, I love these. It's a threefold gezerasha, a threefold derasha. We have a derasha from Ahot Isha. She says, in turn is informing us of the law over here. Okay, next opinion. Rabbi Uda, Rabbi Uda, if you recall, he said it has to be on a matter which is Ikaro midivre Torah, Perusho midivre Sofrim. It's, uh, it's explicit in the Torah, but its interpretation is, let's call it tradition, maybe from the rabbis. He says, look at the Pasuk, the continued words in the Pasuk uh, with regards to Zaken Mamre. So the Pasuk mentions, based on the words of the Torah, which they will instruct you. Torah, and that's the first and foremost be Torah. Torah we see as unblemished. Torah is ex- exactly the words as we receive them. The Yorucha, and Yorucha is furthermore the interpretation based on tradition. So it needs to be those two coupled together that he disagrees with in order to be considered a Zaken Mamre. Virbi Shimon, what about that last opinion? He says, You didn't read till the end of the Pasukah. Pasuk says that which they'll tell you from that place, meaning from Betin Hagadola, Filukol Dehu, even any matter. If he disagrees with them, again, dis- discuss this and debate it amongst the Rishonim, exactly what this means, but it means further than just those sorts of traditions where it's explicit in the Torah, even if it's just derived from Derashot, or even if it's a Takana to a certain extent of the Hachamim. Okay, that being the case, we've now dealt with some of the uh, technicalities which underlie these opinions. We saw the Beraita last week, we saw this Beraita, three different opinions, and now the Gemara goes back to debate that opinion. The first one we had over here of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir who says that Azakir Mamre is specifically and only under the circumstance, uh, uh, circumstances where he disagrees with a law which is Zidono Karet, and purposeful he gets uh, Karet, he gets this death penalty from, from heaven Hatat, if he does it accidentally in the same law he gets Hatat, Korban Hatat needs to bring, how does he or does he not accord with that beraita? and we'll quickly review it in our Gemara that we learned last week which has all sorts of different circumstances and situations where it's telling us according to that beraita, it's considered Zakin Mamrev says the Gemara Amar le Ravuna Bar Ravva Ravuna, the son of Hinena, says to Rava Targimali 
can you please explain to me that beraita, this beraita, it's the one that we learned at the top of the page over here. Aliba, according to the opinion, did it be meir? So that's Jesse's question. Does it be meir square with that last beraita or not? Amale Rava, le Rav Papa. Rava turns to Rav Papa, who's his student. And keep in mind, Rav Huna had posed the question to him. And now Rava turns to Rav Papa and he says, Pok, go out, targemale, explain it for him. I don't know why, I'm not certain exactly why um, he's pushing him off over here, Rava, why he has to have Rav Papa answer and not Rav Huna himself. I'm certain that Rav, Rava could have answered it on his own. Maybe he was a bit busy. Alternatively, it reminds me of the story that Hurdle Tell once told me. He said he was getting, I don't think this actually happened, but this is the story he told me. He said he was getting off an airplane together with his son, who's a rabbi, and he said someone came up to him and he was wearing a long coat and they assumed he was the rabbi. So they asked him, what's the halacha over here, rabbi? That law, that's ah, come on. That's the question you have. Even my son could answer that question. In turn, says his son has his son answer the question. In other words, he played the role as if he was the rabbi. Even my, so I don't know if that's what's going on over here. I don't think that's what's going on. But for some reason, Rava has Rav Papa fill in. It's always you know a little deflating when you have. I've seen it more than once. It's never happened to me because I haven't asked for many uh, responses, unfortunately. But from time to time, you see there's a back and forth between rabbis. One's asking a question of another, and the response is. And I don't have the time to answer you, so I gave it to my student to answer. That's a little deflating. I've seen it more than once. I feel bad for the person who's asking the question. They wanted the rabbi. And then he signs off. I agree with all of it, but still. Anyway, here says, uh, says Rav Papa, here's how I interpret this Pasuk. If you recall, the Pasuk went first and foremost, ki pale. Uh, that's not going to be debated. That's not a question. The first words in the Beraita were ki pale, first and foremost, ki pale made it clear we're dealing with wondrous people, not just a matter which is difficult, but as well a person who's risen up to a higher stature, meaning he's a mumhela betin, were the words of Rashi. He's a person who's no longer a student. Under those circumstances, we, that's why we call him zaken mamre. Okay, that's not a question. That's not an issue here for Rabbi Meir. But then, mimmecha, if you recall, the next word in the Pasuk is mimmecha ze yo'etz. The words were ze yo'etz. And we explained this at the time. We said it needs to be even on a matter which he's disagreeing with regards to uh, making a shana me'uberet or maybe even a hodesh me'ubar. He's adding on an extra month to the year. Uh, that's a debate. That's a question. Now, if he said, it's just, yeah, if he disagrees with that, zaken chalas, okay, could be fine. But a bimeir said, it needs to be on a matter which the severity is, that's a pretty high level matter. That's adding a month onto the year, is that severity? It's in a situation where he's knowledgeable about ibur. Uh, Ibur Shana, which means adding an extra month of Adar. We dealt with this earlier in Amasechet Afyodalit. In that zone, dealt with it in Masechet Rosh Shana, adding perhaps a day onto a month. Uh, but the question is, in this circumstance, when are you going to have a situation where the severity, because of that extra month, is going to determine some law that leads you to karet? How's it going to bring you to Karet? Kedetran, we have a Mishnah which will give you exactly the type of context we're dealing with. We learned it in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, Hen Adar. 
so if you recall, uh, this is actually from Masechet Eduyot. Masechet Eduyot is a Masechet of Mishnayot. We don't have Gemara about it. All of which were testimony about laws that were received. And the Gemara tells us exactly when it was recorded. Anyway, so there were two rabbis. Rashi explains to us from that context, Biyoshua and Bipapayas. Okay, anyway, these are the two rabbis. They had this testimony from their rabbi that the tradition is, kol adar. That throughout the month of Adar, and keep in mind, for one of, one of two reasons, Tosafot and Rashi, but the only extra month you add on to a year is Adar. That's the way we do it. What if you're past Purim? It's uh, the 16th of Adar. Can you still now declare and determine we have an extra Adar coming up? Yeah, yeah, we learned this. We learned this in Masechet Rosh You got it, Jesse. Anyway, so the Mishnah says they had a tradition that you're allowed to do it. Shehayu Omrim Adhapurim, because the Mahloket was the other opinions around them at that time were that it can only be until Purim. So the question was, can you add an extra, he, he did an extra, well, a little bit later, he did an extra Nisan, when, when Adar was already done. This is a question, I'm going to add Adar um, after the, the 14th or 15th of Purim. What's that? It's Mahloket, Mahloket in the Mishnah, whether you could go till the end of the month. According to this opinion, you could go until the end of the month. Why wouldn't you be able to go until the end of the month? Rashi quotes from the Gemara over there that the reason goes as follows. It used to be, supposed to be until today, that you're supposed to be Doresh Bilchotahag Shiloshim Yom Kodem Lahag. 30 days before Pesach, the rabbis, the scholars, the teachers were supposed to start teaching the laws of Pesach. That was supposed to be the teaching on Shabbat throughout the month. That's what they were supposed to start doing. That's what they are supposed to start doing. And as a result, if they started doing so immediately after Purim, and the nation, the people start going to the classes, and then a month or two in, oh, a week or two in, they say, oh, one second, uh, Pesach, we're going to suspend these classes, Pesach's another month later. Everybody's going to either start making fun of the rabbis or not listen to them. What are you talking about? I went to my class yesterday. My class yesterday said that we have Pesach. We started learning the laws of Pesach. It can't be that they're adding on another month. My rabbi would know better. And the rabbi tries to... It would get very confusing. And people would either neglect... Um, to follow, they'd either keep the first Pesach or they wouldn't. It would lead to a circumstance where people would begin to neglect the laws. Well, that being the case, there was a question. Do we fear that people are going to say that and therefore really just keep the first date, which would have been Pesach, even though we've now established that the second date is Pesach, we had an extra 30 days on, and so on the, so on the, that's one opinion, so therefore, in Ma'abirin, you can't after the 14th, 15th of Hadar, or alternatively, Alternatively, do we say, listen, people are going to be smart about this. They say, I went to the class for a couple of weeks, and now the rabbi told me that the rabbis determined, the Betina Gadot determined that there's an extra month. They're not going to be led astray about this. Now, that being the case, there's a mahlokit about this. Let's say the halakha is one way as opposed to the other. Let's say the halakha of the Betin Gadol, and this is the debate that perhaps arises, is that you can't be me'aber after the 15th. And Zakin Mamre starts telling everyone, no, you could be. And really, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the, an extra month. And it turns out then 
that on the date that Beit Din HaGadol determined it's going to be Pesach, the people who are listening to the Zaken Mamre are going to be eating Hametz. Alternatively, the other way. They added on next month even after Purim. He says you can't do so. So it means that he's telling everyone to eat Hametz on the date which, according to him, is not Pesach, whereas according to Beit Din HaGadol it is. Either way, you slice it. Di'ilahai gisa kashare Hametz bePesach. V'ilahai gisa kashare Hametz bePesach. Whether he takes one side over the the other or the other side over this one, whatever the dispute is, this is a situation where determining whether it's an extra month or not will bring to, quite literally, eating hametz on Pesach. That's a matter which, of course, as Jesse told us from the onset, is davar karet hatat. Okay, that's the first, so we dealt with that. It seemed like that's not so severe, adding on an extra one. It's very severe. We have an explicit type of situation where he might be debating, disagreeing, and he'll be bringing people to eating hametz on Pesach. Next in the Pasuk, davar zehalacha. If you recall, the next derasha over here was davar ki pale mimecha. Mimecha was for ibur hashana. Davar, davar was to include, even if the zakir mamre is disagreeing with halachal moshe misinai. Davar, milashon dibur, it's speech. Halachal moshe misinai, I'm fine itself not on the pages of the Torah, but rather through our speech, through tradition. Even if he does can you find me a situation? Rav Papa, please defend this. Rabbi Meir, who says it's a halachal Moshe Misinai, which has that sort of severity, what type of situation might he be disagreeing with this Zaken Mamre, where he'll be liable for Hanuk, be considered Zaken Mamre, because it's a davash zidono karef shigato hatat, gives the, the Gemara, it suggests, zo hilchot Ehad asar. Okay, so here's here's the circumstance. First, let's just read it. The itmar asiri. Rabbi Yochanan amar asiri kateshi'i. Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish amar asiri ke ehad asar. Rabbi Yochanan amar asiri kateshi'i matishi'i ba'ay shimur. Af asiri ba'ay shimur. Rish Lakish amar asiri ke ehad asar. Ma ehad asar la ba'ay shimur. Af asiri la ba'ay shimur. Won't be able to fill this fully out for you right now. We'll begin with it tomorrow, but let me just introduce it. It goes like this. According to the Torah, before we made different gezerot hachamim and determined it the way uh, you might be familiar with it uh, from your marital relations today. But from the Torah, it goes like this. There's specific halachot with regards to nida. And then after nida, there's halachot which are called ziva. Uh, generally speaking, we translate ziva as uh, emissions of some sort. Uh, but really, ziva was a particular, I mean, it was that as well, but it was a particular time period. There was, after seeing blood, a woman would count seven days. At the conclusion of those seven days, she'd immerse and she'd become pure. But then there'd be 11 careful days. Those are yeme ziva. Those are 11 days of ziva. Now, the person, the woman, would be watching herself carefully to see if she's bleeding during those days. If she bled on one of those days, she would then that night immerse in the mikveh. She would immerse in the mikveh, and the next day she would afterwards be purified. Now that's called shomeret yom keneged yom. She'd be she'd see blood. She'd keep a day of tahara. The next day would be the tahara without seeing blood. And then she'd immerse if she saw blood, a day of tahara, and then immerse and so forth. If there were three days in which she saw blood, that's what we call ziva gedola, and has its own halachot. However, with regards to this halacha again of shomeret yom keneged yom over the course of 11 days, she's pure, she's pure, but she saw blood. All right, wait a day of purity and then go to the mikveh. All right, and then she's pure, but then she saw blood again. Okay, wait a day of purity and then go to the mikveh. So those are, that's, the, that's what the words we're talking about over here, shimur. The question was with regards to if the woman saw blood on the day 10, 
or on the day 11. On the day 11, it was clear she didn't need to wait a whole day afterwards. If she saw blood on day 11, she just went to the mikveh that day and chalas. Why so? Because the idea is there's 11 days in between over here, those dangerous days, those days of ziva. It's on day 11, there's no extra day, it's only 11 days. What if it was day 10? On day 10, she sees blood during this, this precarious time known as Yemei Ziva. Is that day considered like day 11 or is it like day 9? In other words, and we'll discuss next time why you would say which way, in other words, does she now need to wait, uh, not only she saw blood on day 10, she needs to wait where now day 11, and go to the mikveh that night, or can she go to the mikveh already on night 10? All right, we'll discuss this and deal with it again tomorrow at the beginning.